welcome to Conversations with Achievers. I'm your host, Robert White. I'm a mentor to owners, executives, and their teams, and CEO of Extraordinary People, LLC. I work with people that want to create extraordinary business performance with less stress, more joy, and more personal fulfillment. So sit back, relax, and prepare to learn from your peers as we explore what it takes in terms of attitudes, habits, and behaviors that achieve extraordinary results. Results for yourself, for your family, and your community. Hello, Robert White here, and welcome to Conversations with Achievers. Today, we have a very special guest, one that's going to share a bit about his life, his business, what he's learning, what he's avoiding, uh, maybe have some fun. So welcome to Sean Campbell. Sean, how about, hey, a, quick inter- how about a quick introduction about your story? How'd you get uh, to where you are and, and what are you up to? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I started out as a guy who wanted to be a college professor. Uh, that's where I started. I had no dreams, interests, desire to be a business owner. So there you go. So that immediately makes me maybe not safe to talk to. No, but I wouldn't go that far. I... Um, <laughs> I have owned the business now for almost 25 years. Um, I had a first business that I grew and sold. Um, nothing worthy of a press release or anything, but but it was it was meaningful. And then um, I started a second business that I've now owned for 16 years or so, and um, you know have 12 employees or so now. First business got up to about like 25 people working for us. It was a little more of a contractor model, but a lot of people working fairly consistently for us. Um, and uh, the interesting thing I think on my journey is that I didn't really think when I was trying to be a college professor, and there's reasons why I didn't go off and do that ultimately, has to do with a girl. Uh, I um, uh, I I came to realize that there's a ton of places where I can educate and mentor and shape as a business owner. And it doesn't mean I don't like teaching and I still love doing that when I get a chance to do it. Frankly, part of the reasons I offer myself up for interviews and stuff like this is because it's a way to do that. But I, I think it's at the heart of who I am. I I tell people I'm pathologically incapable of learning something and not wanting to teach somebody else it. And so in essence, that's what I own a business to do. Um, I own a research company. So we research spaces and we educate people about it. Uh, We sometimes joke that we deliver bad news to good people because in the research business, usually if you deliver bad news, that's um, more valued. Um, That doesn't mean without solutions, but usually you're trying to uncover some degree of pain um, that, that you can then help them get around, you know, whether it's like I've built a poor product or I don't have a good sales approach or I don't have a good marketing approach. There's an element of us identifying opportunity, of course, but even that, to some extent, comes out of us trying to remove these kind of problems that they're dealing with as organizations through effective research. So to sum it all up, you know, I ended up recognizing after a number of years that, like, oddly enough, I get a lot of mentoring and teaching experience doing what I'm doing. And I even have a research component, which is typical of a professor, too. Right. It's just not academic. And um, that's kind of been my journey all along the way. It's just this kind of like big, big focus on education comes first and teaching comes right along with that. And those things have just centered me really my whole life, ultimately. So that's a strategic strength for you is your actual interest in research. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we that's that's who we are. I mean, you know, a lot of clients will come to us with all kinds of business problems that they face. And, you know, usually their challenges, they just they don't have a good answer to it objectively. And so they want someone to kind of provide that objective lens, either by talking to their customers or competitor customers or, you know, partners in their marketplace, you know, things like that. And um, it can be really rewarding. I mean, at the same time, it can be slightly frustrating because one of the things you run into as a research vendor is that um, we may bring the truth to an organization, but that doesn't give us the ability to ensure they will act on it. Um, because organizations are full of perceptions and opinions, and some of those aren't always based in fact. Like one of the things I tell people all the time as a business owner is don't generalize from a specific, um, which is a really easy thing to do when you're emotionally connected to that specific. You know, the the deal you just lost, the lack of leads in a given month, the, you know, a key employee that just lost. And you always have to ask yourself, Am I generalizing from a specific at that point? Am I am I about to make a change to my business that might be a functioning part of the business, but this one outlier happened? And, and that can be very hard to do. And research helps figure that out for you, you know, and that's that's one of the, the values that we provide. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun place to be. And it's a really rewarding place to be. You know that I, at one point I, I ran a experiential leadership training pro company with 240 people, and I was quite active in an association for our industry, the Instructional Systems Association. And uh, our membership, including me, you you have an idea of who your competition is. And I don't remember exactly, and while I was on the board, but I, I don't remember why we did this. We actually did some research. We hired an outside firm to analyze our competition. And what we found out, and it was interesting just to watch me and watch myself and watch these other board members when they reported out that our actual biggest competitor were not other training companies. They were university professors working on the side. And yeah, that happens. Oh, go ahead, finish off. Sorry. Anyway, the, the conclusion we made at first was we don't believe it. It was just fascinating. I mean, they had done the work. It was an absolute right, right. reality. No, no, and no. That, and that happens. That happens. I remember I had a slightly smarmy MBA student because for a while I taught an MBA program as um, um, kind of contributing faculty, basically adjunct, but they called them contributing faculty. And I, I designed a competitive intelligence course I was teaching there. And I also was teaching an industry analysis course that they had already had set up. And um, I remember one of the smarmy students said to me, like, so I just want to know, like, do you not get paid? If they don't act on your information, like, oh, Padawan, come on. There's no way I can make that happen. I mean, like, that's that's like a psychological problem. Like, if I could figure that out, if I can make organizations act on truth and just make that happen, I should be paid way more per, per consulting hour than I am right now. Because that, that's a whole different thing, right? Um, but but even there, we try to give a little homage to it, Um I'm I'm only saying this because it's relevant. I'm not trying to stuff our tagline in here. I'm really not. It's the only time I've ever even thought of the connection is this interview, honestly, in some ways. is like our tagline is act with clarity. So notice it doesn't say you will act with clarity. <laughs> it just says we help you act with clarity. Like if I could say you will act with clarity, I could charge $12,000 an hour. But like that's a whole different animal at some point. And and I um, but but all that to said, a lot of times they do. 
they 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 genuinely are better companies for it at the end. And I think that's one of the things that um, the team here usually really loves seeing is if somebody comes back and says, thank you for making the sales process better, the marketing process better, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and um, yeah, so anyway. No, that's a really powerful point that, uh, you know, we live in a culture where there's too much information, but it's not targeted. It's not specific to a business person's needs. And when I, frankly, when I was checking you out before inviting you on the podcast, that's, I I found out that's what you do. And I like that. Uh, I wanted to ask you this, you're in a business model using many uh, contract people, but using them a lot, kind of almost employed. What's the percentage breakdown in, in your company uh, you know, t- between employ- employees and contract people. Well, to be clear, and hopefully, um, hopefully, I didn't like confuse things. The first company I owned had a ton of contract people in it. This one is actually almost all—it's all basically full-time employees. Uh-huh. So I've worked—I've worked on both sides of it. I've seen it when you just have, you know, an army of contractors and the pros and cons of that, and I've seen it also when you just have full-time employees. So I. I definitely have an understanding of, you know, the gives and gets on both of those. But but with that as a basis, feel free to go ahead. Well, what have you learned about that? Because many companies, uh, including listeners of this podcast, are looking at uh, either using more or less contract people. It's a model. Yeah, yeah. It uh, has well, some strengths and it has some weaknesses. Well, gosh, it's such, it's such an interesting question in some ways because... Um, and, and and clearly I've made a decision of a sort, right? Because I could have, I could have in my second business gone contractor again, right? I could have. And in the line of work we're in, there's actually kind of a temptation to do it because, um, you know, we only focus on the needs of like B2B technology companies, right? When it comes to research, but um, how do other research firms grow and how do they build capabilities in other areas? Like say you want to like do home improvement and healthcare and pharma. Well, you can't hire all those smart people right out of the gate. You don't know if you'll have the revenue stream for it as you go into new industry. So what do you do? You hire contract researchers and then you kind of slowly grow your capability. So, um, so let me start with the positives on the contract side, as I kind of showed my chips already, like on what I would pick now. Um, on the positives, you know, there's less stress from a financial standpoint. I mean, any small business owner, um, and, I, and I would say this is actually just a brief departure. One of the things that I always coach people if they want to go start a new business or their first business, you know, the classic, the economy's good, you're working for, you know, this company and you're like, I can strike out on my own. I always say this weird phrase. I don't think it's weird. People tend to think it's weird when they first hear me say it. Are you okay with eventually running out of money? <laughs> and they go, what do you mean? And some people go, what do you mean? Anybody who's owned a business laughs, right? They totally know what I mean. Like the instant I say it and the people who've never had it, they're like, why would I run out of money? I'm like, here's the deal. You will know the second you leave that job, the day you can run out of money. And for the rest of your life as a self-employed person, you will know when you will run out of money. Are you okay with that? Can you live with that? Do you, do you recognize what that might do to your psyche? And they're like, well, how can that be? I'm like, well, because when you're getting a paycheck, yes, you can be deleted from the employee roles too, but you have this like distortion filter over your head that tells you most of the time that's not happening to you. 
And so like you just assume that the paycheck will be there. It might be a little smaller or larger from year to year, but it'll be there. And so, um, and by the way, to anybody listening, it's not like I live in abject terror every day about that, but I just, I, I think you, if you don't recognize that, if you don't have a sense of what your burn rate is and how much cash you have and what your expenses are and what does that really ultimately mean and how much revenue do you need to make sure that you don't burn down the bank account, those are all like, that's just like fire, air, water, and gravity, right? To a business, right? So you need to know those things. Um, but back to the contractors, it'll help with the burn rate because you know you can obviously turn people on and off. Um, it will help sometimes with finding niche talent um, that's definitely an issue. It'll definitely help. Um, uh, I, I listened to this one podcast and I won't say the name just so we don't end up in a podcast battle, but I've never been on it, but I listened to it and I kind of liked it. It's another business podcast. And the, they had this interviewee on that said, you know, the, you could quibble about the range of revenue, but they said this two to $3 million revenue range is like the Valley of death. And they said, because in that range, the owner doesn't have a business big enough to have multiple specialized people in every role. So, so kind of you're in this weird position of you have all these single points of failure. You might have a single salesperson. You might have a single person in finance. You might have a single manager, right? And until you get out of that and you get to four or five or six million, you don't have redundancy there. So you don't have the ability to kind of shift around. And so it all falls back on the owner. And why I bring that up is they said in that show that's again where contractors can help. You can have a part-time financial person. You can have a part-time manager. You can have a part-time salesperson. You can have a part-time marketer, right? And all of that's really helpful when you go from like solopreneur through the like five, six, seven, eight, nine employee phase, right? Um, but what are the what are the challenges? Well, I would say you never know when work is done. That's what I've learned, right? You never know when it's done. You you got a contract salesperson, so when are you going to close deals? <laughs> three days later you get an answer right yes. you got a contract marketer you're like so 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 is this a do is this doing any good <laughs> you know and the, the silence is intentional by the way there wasn't an audio glitch for anybody listening right and like you know and you've got a contractor doing the work and it's the same thing i won't do the silence thing yet but like you've got you've got this inability to know when things are done because and and then and by the way legally you also have to be a little careful because you treat a contractor like an employee there are certain government agencies that will come find you one day yes. and make you pay a bill for that that choice and quotes big, that you've made a big bill a very big bill right and the bigger you are the the bill will be very painful and so like you know you and and then so you've got that problem. And then I think the other thing you have is definitely just a culture thing. You know, although I, I would say this is it depends a little bit, I think, on the strength of the will of the person running the company and who you've hired as contractors. I think you can create a company culture with contractors, but it's always going to be a little bit at war with the independence. It's kind of like the difference between having your own military and your military as a coalition. This isn't a political statement, but it's like when NATO goes to war, it's not like when the U.S. goes to war. Like, sure, we may have our own inner service rivalries, but whoever we're going after, we are going after them. NATO, it's like they all got to talk before they get to the front line seven times, right? I mean, who whose tanks are we using today? You know, kind of vibe, right? And so having contractors is a bit like coalition warfare. You can have a coalition but you're going to have this tension that's always there 
that they're going to pull away from you or you can't quite really get them to act with customers the way you want. Like, like a good example is a business that um, uh, a buddy of mine has that is very like focused on personality tests and organizing kind of your team based on their best abilities and that kind of thing. Um, and he's got a lot of independent trainers, right? So I, that may be a better model for that because you want all that uniqueness of the trainer, but then how do you police the way they talk about your program? right? Can you keep them really in line? And that's where you go back to coalition warfare. It's possible, but you need an Eisenhower at the top who really knows how to manage a coalition, right? Well, and, and, you know, it's, and to so, well, one last thing is, it's, the way you're, the so, way you're talking, Sean, is guaranteed to have me cry on camera. <laughs> with, with my U.S. corporate culture change company years ago, uh, I listened to some bad advice and I went contract trainer. And by the way, the trainers wanted it. And I wanted it because in corporate training, you cannot use your trainers in August or December. Amen. Amen. hundred you know, percent. So I'm paying them 12 months a year and I'm able to use them for 10. Uh, not a good formula admittedly, but that that's reality. And uh, for years we used those months for uh, trainer training and for trips and all, you know, things like that to try and sure, sure. take advantage of it. But the truth is financially, it was tough. And so I, I went to uh, uh, an all contract and it was a nightmare. And it was that last thing that you mentioned. It's the other side of what you mentioned about contractors. We found it very, very difficult to, um, uh, to keep the culture. I found it difficult to keep the culture. And then with trainers, I'd say about half of them were full on or borderline personality disordered, <laughs> you know, narcissistic and, you know, all of that. So they want to start doing the training their way. And, totally. we, uh, totally. you know, and then that doesn't satisfy the client. We had a lot of problems with that. But um, this, I think that what you've just shared is actually valuable to people that are contemplating some kind of a blend or some kind of a decision about uh, th there is a movement in business culture for contract uh, for the, the uh, I'm trying to think of what it's called, you know, that kind of, it's almost an industry today of independent people and right, people right. want it. And there is some tax advantage for them. And, you know, all well, the gig economy has, has some, some, temptations i would say right and there's there's pro and there's there's cons pros and cons on the contract so the, the only last thing i'd say about the coalition warfare thing and i feel like i just want to just because i mentioned eisenhower is like i um back to like i just like to learn you know the last the last election happened and let's just say we all discussed it a lot i'll just leave it at that i'm not trying to make light of it i'm just saying it's pretty clear that we all discussed it quite a bit and my mo walking out of it was how can i learn more about this thing called presidency. I'm a huge history buff. And I'm like, fine, I'm going to read a biography of every president. Well, I'm up to Nixon. So I'm certainly not giving up now. So I mean, and I read along with other books over the last two, three years. And I, you know, so Eisenhower is not that far in the rearview mirror, right? I just got done with Kennedy and Eisenhower's before him. And, you know, the thing that, you know, the, the quip I was going to make about coalition warfare that I just want to throw in there is like, you know, Eisenhower liked that job. If you watch history, there were people in before Eisenhower that they were considering for the role that might not have liked the job as much Marshall for one and different other people. Right. And, and, and I would just say, if you're going to 
because I've honestly never said it this way before. I probably write it down and remember it. Uh, managing contractors is basically like trying to lead coalition warfare. And some people love that. So what I want people to take away from it is if you're like that, great. Just remember Eisenhower smoked like five packs of cigarettes a day. And I think he needed to <laughs> golf six times a week when he was president. Um, so there must've been some level of stress. And I think he had a heart attack and stroke while president. So maybe it wasn't all great, but, but if you have the temperament, I think you could pull it off. So Sean, this has uh, been incredible. Uh, thank you. First of all, for the contribution you've made to some other business folks, uh, on an important subject. Uh, if people want to reach you either about research or about education or about whatever, uh, what's the best way to be in touch? Um, just go to cascadeinsights.com. I mean, it's a small company of 12 people. So you'll definitely find me there. If you fill out the contact form, you can get to me. But you can also just email me at sean at cascadeinsights.com and that, that'd be just fine too. Wonderful. Again, thank you. Uh, incredibly valuable. Uh, I learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners did also. Uh, we should do this again. Sounds good, man. Thanks again for having me on. All the best. Thanks so much for joining us for Conversations with Achievers. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for this weekly show, the details are at therobertwhite.com and click on Podcasts. I'm looking for businessmen and women with a story to tell, stories that might benefit other owners and executives. If you got some value from this program, I'd really appreciate you sharing about it on social media and just mentioned www.therobertwhite.com slash podcast. Of course, subscribing means you won't miss a show and rating the podcast positively will leave Robert smiling. I'm building a movement here for leaders, leaders who want to succeed in business, succeed with their families, have fun, and contribute toward making the world a better place. It's special to me that you chose to listen. I look forward to connecting again next week. Remember, reach out to me anytime with any questions or concerns at therobertwhite.com. Bye for now.